Frozen on HBO Max September 10th. Rated R. Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over. The show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And this is your yearly bonus Halloween episode. Ooh. I'm sure you do that noise every year. <laughs> it's only been two years. <laughs> yeah, well. yeah. I've done it twice. I've done it twice. So sorry everyone. I've done something twice. Please continue. It's I'm a good it's a good thing. It's a, I enjoy it. I feel like a housewife who's worn the same outfit twice. Happy Halloween, listeners. Happy Halloween. So scariest night of the year and we are here <laughs> to discuss. I mean for some people, you know. <laughs> is it the scariest night like, of the year? That's what people say, isn't it? That's a, a thing. New Year's the scariest night of the year. Fucking prices when you go out. Shocking. Anyway, we hope you... 15 quid to get in a club once. That's scary. We hope you're feeling all spooky and stuff because we have a... a, a, We have something I'm very excited to discuss with you today. We are discussing Malignant. The most... Well, this... not the most. This or Halloween Kills. So, again, like I said, on the Halloween Kills episode, we didn't know both these films were going to be so divisive. Um, but yeah, audiences are divided. Yes, on whether *Malignant* is the next great cult classic, or a big part of dog shit. I'm here to tell you, it is the former. Again, with *Halloween Kills*, uh, like we said on *Halloween Kills* episode, uh, if you didn't enjoy these films, no judgment from us. No judgment from us. We're just here to tell you how much we love them and explain to you why they're so good. Yeah, at the end of the day, this is just a bit of fun. Um, I don't take it too seriously. I, I may get a little sweary when it comes to some films, if I think they're shit. But at the end of the day, I don't care. If you like it, you like it. If you don't like yeah, it, I mean, you don't I mean, like obviously... it. I'm just here to give you my opinion in the, the nicest, funniest way possible. Yes. But if you do enjoy it, then glad to have you on board for the uh, Malignant Fan Club. Yeah. We'll send you out... Uh, Posters and stickers and stuff soon. Um, James Wong could pay us later. So, before we get into it, socials catch up because I was terrible and forgot to do it on the original Versus Remake episode. Uh, everyone's been very chatty this month on social media, uh, sharing our episodes and being really nice to us. And do you know what? Also, this isn't just a Halloween bonus episode, this is our 150th episode. Oh. 150 I feel like I already knew that, uh, yeah 150 episodes later we're still here talking shit and it's oh, it's thanks to you guys if if you guys didn't listen every week we wouldn't be doing this so and everyone's always so kind to us no one's ever said anything horrible so thanks yes yeah, thank support. you very much uh, and, and this month has been fucking crazy with our stats like I don't, some someone is is uh, a, a lot of people are, are are listening to us this month and binging and a lot of episodes. Like, this is the most we've ever had in one month. This is crazy. Yeah, someone out there is sick of our voices. <laughs> well, they're clearly not. They're clearly coming back for more. So, again, you know, it's it's amazing. So, thank you. Yes, thank you very much. So, socials catch up. Everything is retro on Instagram, who we met earlier this month. He's such a lovely guy. Uh, he loved our Halloween series and recommended that we cover the Evil Dead and a Nightmare on Elm Street next for franchises. Yes, I, A Nightmare on Elm Street is my favourite franchise, so yes. I would love to cover that. Um, of individual episodes, I think, 
Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, absolutely. I've got loads to say. Well, we've already done original versus remake. And with Evil Dead, maybe the trilogy as an episode uh, means we covered the 2013 one previously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nathaniel Bacon X on Instagram loved both Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills, but preferred Kills because he thought it was much scarier, has better cinematography and better pacing. And also features the most menacing and frightening version of Michael. And he also loved the way it filled out the town of Haddonfield's history and people. Yeah, yeah, it was It was actually, that's a good point that I don't think we brought up in the episode. Um, but it was nice to see Haddonfield as a, you know, collective. It was nice yeah. to see, because in the original film, all the films really, you, you see what, like 10 people, mm-hmm. tops? Yeah. It was nice to see... Haddonfield as an actual place with lots of people going about their business. I hope you saw... That business was, you know, revenge on a mass murderer, but still. (laughs) I hope you saw the podcast on Instagram. uh, Prefer Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 to Halloween, as it swung for the fences, had some strong takes and stuck by them all the way. It's weird as hell and stands out compared to everything else in the franchise. And as much as people are going on about how brutal Halloween kills is, it doesn't hold a candle to how brutal Halloween 2 is. Now, when they say Halloween 2 is better than Halloween... Yeah, as in Rob Zombie's. Rob Zombie's yeah, Halloween, yeah, yeah. okay. Not John Carpenter's. Um, no, of course okay. not. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, they also said they didn't think either were good films in particular, but... Yeah, no, I totally get the point. I, I get the point. I mean, we said ourselves we preferred Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 to his first film. Um, it, it is weirder, and I suppose it's just made for more entertainment. And, and I, I, just, I do think it's the goriest one in the franchise. Yeah. Uh, Scarlet Oscara six 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 on Instagram said Halloween Resurrection. Scarlet Oscara, I know, that right? name. So Halloween Resurrection is all trick and no treat. And do you know what? We could have just recorded ourselves saying that for the episode and just released it <laughs> it's, it summarizes it very well. Yeah. yeah, we spent way too long on that film. We should we should have just said that. <laughs> Tom Collins on Twitter doesn't get the hate for Halloween kills. Welcome to the fan club. Um, your signed Haddonfield signs are out in the post now. What do they say? Um, Haddonfield lives tonight. Haddonfield lives yeah. tonight. Evil dies tomorrow. Evil Ch- dies changing it up. tomorrow. Changing it up. Okay. Uh, it's got a picture of Carl Richards on it. Uh, you also s- pictures of the woman who held the iron. Yeah, the, uh, the iron's one the side iron, and iron Carl Richards the other with bricks. Um, he also said, I love the film, much more in 2018. It delivers everything I want from a slasher film. Great show, guys. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. David S. Smith on Twitter um, ranked H2O the second best in the franchise for Halloween. Uh, prefers it to 2018 because it works with the sibling storyline and has a much more satisfying character journey for Laurie. Now, we're friendly with David S. Smith more than the uh, the, the average listener. You, you got anything to to say about that. Um, I'm sure you won't be offended. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I liked H2O. Yeah, the H2O I, I preferred good. 2018. I, I thought it took the story further, but I do, I did enjoy Laurie as a character in H2O. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, she was actually probably a little more likeable in H2O. Yeah. And the, the brother storyline does make more sense uh-huh. when you compare the two, but I think this trilogy is really going to go into the fact that Laurie, twenty eighteen Laurie, um, is 
fucking delusional. Yeah. <laughs> to a certain degree. So I think that's going to be an interesting mm-hmm. aspect. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I liked H2O. Jerry on Facebook really liked Malignant and thought it would have been better without the twist, but admits it did peak it up. And also told us to keep up the good work because he loves our page and podcast and also sent us some of his films to check out. Oh, fantastic. We definitely have to check them out. Yes. And we've, as well as that, we've had lots of interaction in regards to the uh, 31 Days of Horror recommendations we've been posting, which everyone seems to really enjoy. So, yeah. I think I need Keep to get coming. more into um, the social media. Get Gary does all the social media. As you can tell, because I'm sitting like, oh, isn't that lovely? Oh, great. <laughs> Clearly I haven't read any of these previous to Gary putting them together. So um, maybe I need to get a little more involved. Guys like Jen Shaw on her uh, Twitter account. Oh, God, yeah. I'm running it all. And uh... and I'm sure amazing. <laughs> so there we are. Uh, yes, keep it coming. We are Horacle Trash over on Facebook and Instagram and Horacle Trash on Twitter. Now, before we get into I this... If I respond, I'll put a little CB at the end so you know it's me. <laughs> before we get into this, Malignant is just as, you know, it's it came out a month ago. Still in some cinemas. So, again, heavy spoiler warning. If you have not watched Malignant yet, do not listen. And you want to, don't listen to this. That, seriously, this has one of the best twists in horror history, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Like, this is the most unpredictable twist I have seen in so long. I, it, maybe ever. Like, I, I genuinely, neither of us saw this coming. It is an amazing twist, and you don't want it ruined for you. Trust us. Do you agree? Um, I think you're getting a little... No, come on. Did you even have an inkling? <laughs> no, I didn't. But there's plenty of films where I didn't have an inkling. Yeah, of the, but it's, but... it's fucking great. Either way, it's great. Just... Don't listen to the rest of this episode if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, directed by James Wan, the director of The Conjuring 1 and 2, Insidious 1 and 2, Saw, Dead Silence, Aquaman, Death Sentence, and Fast and Furious 7. What a mix. That is, yeah, a very mixed bag. A great, great modern horror director. He's And I quite liked Aquaman. Too, yeah, so. he's, he's great. He's such a really, really good director, and you know his influence is all in the right place. Budget of $40 million, and sadly, at this point, when we're recording this, the worldwide gross is $33.1 million. But it was also put on streaming services yeah, HBO in Max. America, HBO Max, so that may have affected it. Yeah. Um, seemingly, it didn't Halloween Kills, but, you know. If this was released a month later, I'd be interested to see how different that budget, I mean, that um, gross would have been. Yeah. I think September's a really weird time for horror films. I think a lot of directors assume just because The Conjuring and It did well in September, every other horror film's going to do the same. I don't know, that's always the case. Yeah, and we'll get into it more in the episode, but I, I don't think it was marketed... I think it was marketed no. fact, well. No, no, absolutely. Let's, let's talk about the trailer right now. Yeah, so, have we got that? The trailer shows us, like, a supernatural setup. um in the way, in the same vein as Insidious and The Conjuring. Now, obviously, it's from the same director as well. Um, you know, we see uh, Madison talking to someone who's not there on the videotape from when she was younger. Uh, we see her being haunted in this in her home by this presence that disappears. And it's very much, it gives you that same vibe as Insidious and The Conjuring. Um, in fact, even before we watch this film, I quote, I quote uh, my co-host here as saying, oh, that looks basic as fuck. 
Yeah. Like, we, we weren't even that bothered about this fucking film um, because it it looks like everything else looks so generic. But whereas Insidious and The Conjuring worked because they were the first part in the series and they added something new to that sort of genre, which has been imitated countless times, this just looked like a repeat of that. Yeah, I think my words are cheese and pickle. Basic. Yeah. It looks um, basic as fuck. But the film is nothing of the sort. Like, I mean, not even close to that trailer. Those scenes are in the film, but in a completely different context. Yeah, and do you think that harmed the film and it's gross? Because you've got... And, and there's a quote from July, you know, um, of James Wan saying, This is my ode to Brian De Palma, Dario Argento, Mario Bava, David Cronenberg. This is my take on a modern giallo film. And those 80s horror thriller films, you know, mm. all those. But then on the other hand, the trailer is giving you something completely different. Yeah, so him doing that interview makes me think that the trailer was had heavy involvement from a studio with, yeah. with dollar signs in their eyes. Because obviously a trailer like that is going to pull in the big books, isn't it? But then people saw it early on. Word got out that it wasn't what it is, what it looks like. And instead of doing something in the same way that American Wealth in London did, when that didn't show the transfer, the big thing about the film, it hid that and everything, you know. Um, in the same way, it, I'd, I'd compare the trailers together. American Wealth went on to be very popular. This didn't because it wasn't what people wanted. Yeah, and then the word of mouth would turn around, have you watched the new James Wan film? You know, is it as good as The Conjuring and Insidious? And people are like, it's for cool, like, The Conjuring and Insidious. They'd be like, oh, well, I'm disappointed. Yeah. Whereas I sat there, and I am not the general cinema goer. Um, I, you know, have a, a different taste to yeah. a lot of people, um, for good or for bad, you know. Um, but I... You know, if I'd read that quote, mm. I'd be like, oh my God, okay, I'm watching this. Yeah. I mean, we were going to watch it anyway, no matter what. But I'm like, okay, you've piqued my interest. Yeah. But I was not interested going into it, into the cinema. I was like, oh, okay, we'll watch it. It might be half decent, you know, blah, blah, blah. Came out of the cinema. Oh my God, that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of cinema goers... With a complete opposite. Yeah. Like, I don't get it. And if you don't get it, you don't get that's, it. That's fine. You know, that's, that's, that's taste. That's, you know, knowing the references. You know, not everyone is going to be a huge Brian De Palma fan in 2021. Yeah. It's very much like Quentin Tarantino. It's a film that can be enjoyed if you get what it's going for. But it you could... It's, it's a film that could be loved if you know the references. Yeah. And it's... Uh, case in point, you know, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, a yeah. lot of people didn't get it. Yeah. yeah. And I understand why they didn't get yeah. it. Because they don't know, they didn't know what Quentin Tarantino was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's true for a lot of his films. Yeah, yeah. Not all yeah. of them. I think Pulp Fiction stands alone. Mm. I think Reservoir Dogs can stand alone without understanding yeah. the reference. Kill Bill, I think knowing the references and knowing where it's coming from yeah. really does help. Um, a lot of his films are like that. And I think Malignant is definitely like that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I think knowing where this is coming from yeah. 
helps the enjoyment of the film, you know, for me. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, for me, this is James Wan's best film. I, I'm sure you'll agree with that. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, it, it is something daring. It is something bold and daring. And another comparison I want to make is to Last Night in Soho, because that does the exact same thing, but on a different level. So whereas this has a lot of humour in there, as it tries to be goofy camp 70s horror, Last Night in Soho plays it straight. There's some humour in there, some very Edgar Wright humour, but it plays it serious. So it's, it's a little more accessible. But it is a very much Giallo-influenced film. Yeah. This this could be James Wan's Dario Argento. Last Night in Soho is Edgar Wright's Mario Barber. It's, uh, it's great that we're in 2021... And there's two Giallo-influenced films out there on the big screen, theatrically released, and readily available to new horror fans. That's That really makes me happy. I mean, even if this one bombed, I'm sure Last Night in Soho is going to do really well. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Well, and hopefully it'll get people to go back and see, you know, these Giallo Absolutely. Films. Because we're... Fr- I, I mean, I'm, I'm 33 years of age, you know... It's taken me a while to really catch up on these yellow films. Yeah. They are as readily available now as they've ever been. You know, more mm. than they've ever been. When I was young, you know, it was just... You'd get some cut DVD yeah. of it, maybe. You know, maybe Vipco released something. Um, but now you can go into HMV yeah. and pick up a stack of yellow films and watch them. If yellow films aren't your bag, then mm. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, but you can pick up these references now and, and go back and explore exactly. it. I think that's fantastic. And I love that. And we're still doing that now. Yes. Yeah. You know, as full as our Blu-ray shelves are and as, you know, big our list on Letterboxd mm. is of films we've watched. We've still got a long this, way to go. Home. I mean, this forced us to watch Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, All the Colours of the Dark... Uh, Madhouse, Basket Case Trilogy, you know, all all really good films that we watched because this film was a gateway to those films. And that's us, you know, 29 and 33 years old, and this film's still working as a gateway for us to some films. Yeah, which is fantastic. It's great. And I I, I don't want to turn around and say, like, you didn't get the references, so you can't say if you enjoyed it or not. You know, a film should be... You should be able to enjoy a film without having to do your research on it. And I believe this is a film where you still can enjoy oh, it without... Definitely, definitely. But knowing those references makes it even sweeter, yeah. Yeah. Um, in my opinion. Do you think the title Malignant should be changed to a more giallo title? Um, like... No. Yes and no. Because, I mean, if it, you know, if it was... Um, something like your sister comes to visit or... The cockroach (laughs) kills three at the strike of midnight. Um, You know, something like that, I think it would be great. But it wouldn't sell. My my leather-gloved killer. Yeah, no fucker would go and watch it now, would they? The the trophy of Madison, like some shit like that. Um, Yeah, but the thing is, a lot of the time it didn't really have anything to do with the film. Last Night in Soho is the perfect giallo title. It's a good good title. Do you know who came up with it? Who? Quentin Tarantino. Did he really? Yeah, Yeah, Last Night in Soho. That's a good one. But I I sit here, we've got a few in front of us, haven't we? Yeah. 
Uh, Blood and Black Lace, I mean, that that's a classic yeah. one. I wouldn't change that. But, but I think with Malignant, it's a very, like you said to me earlier, it's a very Cronenberg thing, isn't it? Yes. In in the yeah. way that it, it tells you... It what, kind of... It tells you what's going on in the film, but it doesn't. Kind of, yeah. So very much early um, Cronenberg is like Shivers. Yeah. And, um, oh, Rabid. It's a, it's a one-word you know, title that makes you feel a certain type of yeah. way. And if you Google it, it's like, oh, okay. I can see where they're going now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would have, it would have been cool if he had the balls to do a proper giallo title. We're getting into the trivia. Um, on October 24th, 2019, James Wan clarified that his film is not based on his graphic novel, Malignant Man. Oh, <laughs> Oh, that must be confusing. Staten is definitely not a superhero film. It's an original thriller not based off any existing IP. That's a little confusing, though. Um, it was originally scheduled to be released in the United States in 2020 on August 14th, uh -huh. um, but was delayed due to COVID, of course. What's that? <laughs> Stephen King praised the movie on his Twitter and wrote, I watched Malignant on HBO and I thought it was brilliant. Go on, Stephen King. Go on, Stephen King. In a scene where Madison is talking to Gabriel on the phone in the bathroom, uh, the camera is angled so that the back of her head is seen in a mirror. So it's as if we see her and Gabriel at the same time during their conversation. Oh. The scenes where Gabriel is seen walking or running were not made using CGI, which blows my mind. Yeah. I was convinced this was CGI. Gabriel is played in disguise by Ukrainian actress Marina Mazepa, a professional dancer and contortionist seen in America's Got Talent, Auditions Free, America's Got Talent, Judge Cuts 4, uh, America's Got Talent, Quarterfinals 2, and America's Got Talent, Live Results 2. So, America's Got Talent. She made it to the Live Results yes. episode 2. There we go. <laughs> very specific. If you it's wanted so to watch good. her episode. Very specific. <laughs> Uh, when Gabriel calls uh, Kokoa on the phone during Madison's questioning, he says uh, she didn't even know I was in her attic. Well, no, actually, he says that dumb bitch didn't even know I was living in her attic. <laughs> this is a play on words. Not only the attic of her house, but the attic of her body. Oh, the old noggin, yeah. And the name of the film refers to the medical term for the type of cancer which, when untreated, can lead to death. Well, there we go. You know, spot on. And now we are entering a section I like to call what James Wan was watching when he wrote this film. Yeah. Also, what we'd recommend if you enjoyed this film. Yes. So this, should, this, I mean, as far as I know, we enjoyed all these films. Yeah. So I would actually recommend watching these. Yeah, absolutely. If you, actually, do you know what? Even if you didn't enjoy Malignant, I, yeah, a yeah, lot of these yeah. films, I would say, you still need to watch. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. So starting with James Wan's other films. He's got a little in-references to his own films in here. Mm -hmm. um, Aquaman, Nicole Kidman's fighting sequence is very similar to Gabriel in the police station. Absolutely. I got that. That's, yeah. The build-up to Derek's death sequence contains TV switching, by itself, switching on by itself and a sofa looking as though someone just sat there, exactly like The Conjuring 2. Gabriel sitting on the sofa and disappearing with a certain camera angle is insidious too. The hypnotist scene is very insidious. And, of course, we have an, hello, detective, in there, clearly from Saw. 
Yeah, I also thought that the music during the opening credits was very similar to Saw. Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, it, it's... Uh, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we? Mm-hmm. When it's... I, I'm not sure a director can reference themselves. No. Um, I think it sounds a bit wanky. But obviously there is a certain James Wan style. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's... It's very evident. It's like a build-up of all his work. Um, yeah. All his horror films. and it, but I mean, everything really comes to this point. I, I feel like it's kind of a... Uh, maybe a midway point for him with how he's going to go from this point onwards. Mm. I mean, this is basically him having a lot of money of being like, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to release this. Yeah. I'm going to release something I, re- I enjoy. Yeah. And I, I hope it does well on home I hope media, so. yeah. you know, home home video. What the fuck? How old am I? <laughs> um, on Blu-ray and DVD. I hope so. And I, I do hope it gets a sequel, but I think a sequel would only work if James Wan was directing. Yeah, I think it's unlikely to get a sequel, mm. if I'm being honest. So, for starting with a film we haven't seen, uh, one of the promotional posters for Malignant features a woman's head with her face completely missing. This particular poster was heavily inspired by the promotional poster for Polish film Interrogation. Yeah, I'd never heard of before um, this little piece of trivia. Um, it looks like a great film. Yeah. I don't think it's similar to Malignant, um, but yeah, it looks a great film. So The Dark Half uh, is a, it's about an author who had partially absorbed a twin in his uh, utero, which later manifests itself and kills off the people responsible for its murder. Have you seen The Dark Half? We both have seen The Dark Half. I love. <laughs> oh. We watched it during our George Romero marathon. Wow. <laughs> The Dark Half is a great film, a great Stephen King adaptation, which I highly recommend. Yeah, really memorable. (laughs) Oh, shit. What am I getting it mixed up with? (sighs) I have no idea. We'll have to watch it again, if it's that good. Of course, Carrie. Yes. Madison is an outcast, and through Gabriel manifest telekinesis... And there is a scene in which she shouts something and lights smash. Yeah, lights smash a lot mm. in in the film actually. When during intense scenes, yeah, that's definitely carry. One of many Brian De Palma references. Yeah, absolutely. With the next being Raising Cain, uh, which has a Doctor and an evil twin storyline and the exact same satire approach as well as Malignant. Yeah, Raising Cain. We watched it quite recently. Yeah, uh, really enjoyed it. I think it's another film that maybe people didn't get. Um, but yeah, Raising Kate, absolutely a, a satire, um, a funny sort of take on soap opera. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, ridiculousness. And um, I think in a little in-joke on De Palma's yeah. love of Hitchcock yeah, definitely. as well. It, it turns it, the ridiculousness up uh, a little bit. All the Colours of the Dark... Um, the lead character loses a child and things manifest from there. Uh, and, of course, the style and over-the-top acting. Yeah, quintessential giallo. Yeah. All the colours of the dark. Madhouse. A woman is pursued by a twin who kills people uh, around her leading up to their birthday. Yeah, loads of slasher films. There's loads of slasher films, which is obviously they derive from giallo. Yeah. Um, based around evil twins to, you know, um, 
dual identities and, and such. Yeah, absolutely. And some great ones as well. Yeah. Uh, Happy Birthday to Me. Yeah. Uh, Blood Rage. Oh, definitely. I think Madhouse, though, in particular, there's a few things in that where it's kind of like, okay, James will definitely watch this. Yes, yeah. Brian De Palma's sisters, also murderous twins, and of course the style. Yeah, absolutely. Dress to Kill, the wig, leather coat and leather gloves, the alternative personality, and of course the cinematography and the soundtrack. Yeah, Dress to, I think Dress to Kill is... Now, some people may disagree, but the closest to a real giallo made in America. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Suspiria. Um, now, one thing, I, I mean, I don't know if this is on purpose, but obviously the big thing, as we mentioned on the Suspiria episode, is the fact that the characters were written as children and the dialogue was kept the same when adults were cast. And there's a scene in this where Madison's sister, Sydney is dressed like a child in a princess costume during a very serious scene. And I just took that as like a little Suspiria nod. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But one of the most obvious nods to Suspiria is the camera work. Um, there's one shot that is identical to a shot of Jessica Harper looking scared in Suspiria. Uh, and particularly during Dr. Field's death, the red and blue neon lights and the rainy setting. Yeah. It is exactly Suspiria. I know it's kind of like, oh, you know, every time you see a red light, it's a reference to Suspiria. But I fully believe that in this film, the red light and... um, once Upon a Time in Soho, which is a great title, Once by the way, time it's, not, it's not the title. <laughs> Last Night in Soho, yeah. I think the use of red lighting Death, is absolutely Suspiria. Yeah. That doesn't mean every single film ever made that includes red lighting is uh, referencing Suspiria, but I think in these cases... It should be. But, you know. It should be. Every film should reference Suspiria. Opera, also Dario Argento, yeah. uh, very similar keyhole shot. Yes. Um, the way Madison's mother is tied up in the attic whilst Gabriel kills and then the whole watching the killer whilst he kills. Opera is, I think, quite underrated. It is. Um, I think it's fantastic. So good. Um, highly recommend that one if you haven't seen it. Of course, Basket Case. Yeah. yeah. Um, a detached evil twin and a killing spree of doctors who separated them. Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, brain dead. Mm-hmm. Evil dis- disembodied brain that kills people with a face that's very similar to Gabriel's face. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, actually. Nightmare on Elm Street. Madison installs deadbolts in the exact same style as Nancy setting up the traps. Yeah. Sydney looks like the blonde girl in every Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. She it what she's given I don't know if you have it there, but she's given me um Casey Becker as Casey screen. Becker, yeah, absolutely. Gabriel's attitude and wisecracking is similar to Freddy Krueger. He yeah, he does have some says bitch. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Madison's speech to Gabriel taking back every bit of energy she gave him. Yeah. That is absolutely Nancy Thompson. Uh-huh. And Madison's mother and Sydney being alive after she defeats Gabriel. In a supposedly happy ending. Oh, okay. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. The way the killer comes out of Madison uh, and is inside her so that he can kill people. Uh, And there's a scene where Madison wakes up in a relative's room with a weapon in her hand and starts screaming. Like Jesse 
Yeah, and, um, and there's a scene where she cleans her room, <laughs> and she's like, "Sadly not." How'd you like that, Dad? Yeah, with Kathy Dennis playing. But of course, watch the whole Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Don't just watch the first two. Yeah, the... I I suspect you probably have if you're listening to us. <laughs> one of the most subtle nods is the washing machine. Is I mean, it's not subtle, but it's one of the smaller nods. Where it is literally Madison is putting clothes in her washing machine when she witnesses the, doc- the murder of Dr. Weaver. And it's like, come on, James Wan, we know what you're doing now. Yeah, the washing machine was all, it was all right. It was okay. The Terminator, um, where Gabriel slaughters everyone in the police station whilst wearing a leather jacket and even punches a hole through someone when he kills them. Okay. Absolutely Terminator. Terminator. Yeah, yeah. Is it Bill Paxton who gets his heart punched out? Does he? Yeah. Oh. One of the punks at the start, anyway. I need to rewatch that film. I love that film. The Eyes of Laura Mars. Seeing through the eyes of a killer when they kill. Oh my god, I love Eyes of Laura Mars. So good. Blood and Black Lace. The cinematography and the killer's appearance. Mm-hmm. House by the Cemetery. A killer living in a character's house without them knowing. Also, the face isn't too far off uh, Gabriel. And of course, the over-the-top style and acting. Yeah. Phenomena. Um, the style. And Madison reminded me of Jennifer Connelly in Phenomena. Um, with her performance and then the whole being in hospital and having the checks done when she was younger. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Fight Club. Two personalities, of course, in the same body. And something I didn't realise when we first watched this where is my mind placed throughout the entire like through so much of the film yeah like an instrumental yeah cover version. version yeah um Possession the meltdown in the prison cell yeah there is there is a shot of Madison's meltdown that looks just like um Isabel Arjani's meltdown mm-hmm. in Possession and of course, as every Giallo film, black gloves, black jacket, a particular type of we- weapon, gold in this case, I'm sure there's been some gold Giallo weapons. Oh, yeah. Over the top acting, the soundtrack, and very small things taken very seriously. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and the soundtrack takes things from Basket Case, Opera, Phenomena, Suspiria, Dress to Kill, All the Colours of the Dark, Blood and Black Lace, and of course, the Where Is My Mind cover by Safari Riot. Uh, which is on our playlist, as well as the other songs from this film, um, definitely has that sort of style about it, um, which is great. Yeah, and I think just as a general, with the, the directors that influenced him, Brian De Palma, he deals with sort of dual identity or, or sort of personalities yeah. or a side of someone that's hidden a lot mm-hmm. in his films. It's a big thing in his films. It's... Um, stylistically I think it's why he uses that split screen so much because he loves a duality um, in in cinema and obviously that's a big part of this film Um, and then obviously David Cronenberg the body horror um, the idea of a a parasite something parasitic um, runs throughout all of his films Uh, and then Dead Ringers you know, that's yeah, twins, that's isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, that's what I was getting. But yeah, very, very much in that sort of vein of um, American cinema, you know. Yeah. There was a lot of sort of similar themes. And Italian. Through. And Italian, of course. So hopefully, you know, you've got all those jotted down. Um, go and check them out. Yeah. Well, Gary's got a list on Letterboxd. Yes. Um, so check that out. 
Um, it's a good, really good list. Yeah, if you search malignant in the list, it's actually the first one that comes up. So. Yeah. Or just follow him. As, as you we should always, be. We always give it. We always give all that. As you should away. be following him and just look at his list. There's yes. some great lists on there. Thanks. Thanks for the promotion. You're welcome. Uh, so getting into the film, Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders, and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. <gasps> this is not a dream. It's real. So we start in 1992, where Dr. Florence Weaver starts the film with a confessional about how dangerous Gabriel is. Florence and her colleagues Victor Fields and John Gregory treat psychiatric patient Gabriel at Simeon Research Hospital. Gabriel has special powers, able to control electricity and broadcast his thoughts via speakers. Yes, so she's doing a confessional to a early 90s video camera. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very, very early 90s. It looks like once you get on... Um, You've been framed. It's my only yeah. reference point. I'm sorry. We didn't we didn't videotape when I was younger, so it's not like I've got home videos to go off of. <laughs> One night, Gabriel turns violent and kills several staff members of the institution. Uh, a guy gets his bone broken out of his arm. Yes. Florence shoots Gabriel with a tranquilizer gun and says, You've been a bad, bad boy, Gabriel. <laughs> Gabriel says something and she's like, Oh my God, he speaks. <laughs> I thought we could happen, but I was wrong. It's time we cut out the cancer. And I remember I just burst out laughing in the cinema when she said that line. It, it is was, fucking ridiculous. It's camp. It's over the top. It's giving me sci-fi channel original yeah. movie. Um, it was not what I was expecting. I, this was when I was a bit. What is what's going on? What is this? This isn't this isn't what I was promised. Yeah. By the trailer. Okay, let's see where this goes. Yeah, the introduction immediately lets you know you're getting a completely different film to yeah, what was promised. Absolutely. Um Florence Weaver, I'm I am giving her the status of gay icon. Um <laughs> she has given me everything. She's given me that over the top energy, her glasses later on. Um adding to a slaying casual outfit. She's given me um Maybe a British actress, but a really heightened British accent. Yeah. That <laughs> really sticks out. We get medical procedure footage over the opening credits. Um, Some medical books. Yes. And equipment. And some footage of an operation, which is crazy, because this is actually the operation of Gabriel. Like, well, yeah. right in front of us. Yeah, it's giving it away. <laughs> yeah. Um... The the music is, is another song I haven't got it written down, um, but it, it mixes rock music with like a goblin style piano. It's to me it was given Saw. Yeah. You know, the the music in Saw, that sort of metal um that was so prominent back in the early two mm-hmm. thousands. Twenty seven years later, uh, Madison Lake, a pregnant woman living in Seattle, returns home to her abusive husband, Derek Mitchell. After her pregnancy causes her to feel ill at work. During an over-the-top argument in which Derek tells Madison that she should try not being pregnant, Derek smashes Madison's head against the wall, which causes her to bleed at the point of impact, after which she locks herself in the bedroom and falls asleep. Yeah, this is if there's one part of the film that I have an issue with, it is this domestic violence. You know me, and I say it a lot, yeah. you know, if if you're going to use someone as a plot point, you have to really deal with it properly. Yeah. And I, I just, for me, the film didn't deal with it properly. It, it, it felt like just another plot point. 
um, rather, you know, she could have just slipped down the stairs. Mm. She could have, there could have been other reasons for her to hit her head, which I know was important to the development of the story. I just don't think this is the reason, this should have been the reason why. I think that could have been modernised. Because I think that probably would have been used in a year in the 70s. Um, But, you know, we are in 2020, or or probably it was written in 2019. um, So it could have been modernised and done a little differently. Yeah, I I mean, the problem is, I mean, I can see where it's coming from in the fact that it shows it and then... He obviously gets what he deserves immediately after. And it makes me feel a little more comfortable that it was actually co-written by a woman as well. Um, but yeah, I think he could have maybe done with 10 minutes more on the film and dealt with it a little deeper. Yeah, I think so. Because it, it, it's, it, it sort of happens and then he's killed. And then she kind of mourns him a bit and the sister's like, oh, you know... Um, I don't wish that kind of death on anyone, but he kind of deserved it. And then that was it. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. You know, and then she goes on to a different kind of trauma. Yeah. Whereas, so was this really necessary? It felt like a a cheap plot point. Yeah. Derek wakes up in the middle of the night to the blender switching itself on, the fridge opening itself, the TV switching channels by itself, someone sitting on the sofa... And a mysterious figure slamming him against a wall in what is absolutely a quintessential James Wan scene. Yes. But also, harking back to um, J-Horror. Yeah. That, you know, the f- you can't see the figure's face yeah. for hair. Um, very, very much the ring, you know. Um, and the static on the TV. Yeah, definitely. The ring. Um, yeah. Man- I don't want. I think. I think sometimes it might take away from the. We're not trying to take away from the film. Saying, "Well, this is taken from that. This is taken from that." Get some original ideas. You know, I love uh, pastiche. And I yeah. love it. Is that the right word? Tell me if it's. Not I think so. Yeah, I love that. I mean, Quentin Tarantino's made a living from it, and I. Yeah. I really enjoy the majority of his films. And in comparison to a lot of the CGI jump scare horror films we get in modern day. This is, even though it's got all of these influences, this is ferociously original compared to those. Yeah, it's it's taking a lot of things and making something it original out of it. Something new and fresh. Yeah, wearing its influences on its sleeve and being unapologetic about it. At least it's not trying to pretend it's not, Yeah, you know, taking from other sort of films. Look at compared to The Night House, you know, a film that everyone's raved over um, for some reason. Um, that film was very ba- very basic, very bland, and stuck to all the tropes and didn't do anything new with them. Yeah, it, yeah um, that's true. Whereas this did something new, you yeah. know, compared to everything Cash you get in these days. Um, yeah, and so did Last Night in Soho. I mean, we're not talking about it, but again, you know, just in case you didn't need uh, another recommendation. Gary um, would like you to go see Last Night in Soho. <laughs> Madison later wakes up to find Derek's dead body with his head twisted back after having a dream of a man entering the house and violently killing him. The killer, who is still in the house, attacks Madison, rendering her unconscious. Yes, and this this is the scene that I remembered from the trailer. Yeah. So Madison is trying to keep whatever, in terms of the trailer, whatever entity is on the other side of the door, we assume a ghost in the trailer. We know in the film it's the killer. 
um, an, an actual, you know, person on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the door's pushed, one, two, three, and then it opens with a great sort of jolt, doesn't Well, it's it? pushed off the hinges. Yeah, and she goes flying back, and that's what knocks her out. This was the scene in the trailer, I was like, oh, God, basic fucking yeah. ghost film, great. <laughs> How wrong was I? The police show up, Detective Kokoa Shaw and his iconic partner, Regina Moss. Yes. Uh, investigate and are joined by Miss Lonely Heart, C.S.T. Winnie, the co-writer of the film. Yeah. Uh, and she has uh, a bit of a thing for Shaw, doesn't she? She does. She makes it very obvious. Um, uh, yeah. It's very, again, very giallo. Like, the way that... It, it, just the way that someone fancies someone is that within this film is very giallo in itself. Yeah, it's... Um... It it is a little strange because in a giallo she would die. Yeah. Or she would be the killer. Yeah. It would be one of the two. Um, but spoiler alert, she survives for some reason. <laughs> okay. I ain't gonna maybe it's because she was the writer of the film. She's like, nah, no, nah, I wanna live. I I think the lonely girl should live. I think so. <laughs> the next morning Madison wakes up in a hospital, is informed by her sister Sydney who looks like she should be in, as I've mentioned, a Nightmare on Auschwitz sequel or the opening of Scream, yeah. um, that her unborn baby did not survive the attack. After being interviewed by... And, sorry, there was something that her husband said as well, um, that uh, uh, this isn't her first miscarriage. She's that's li- had that's a little seri- later on. No, but he said it. How many of my babies do I need well, to I watch yeah. die inside yeah, you? that's true. Um, so it's given that this isn't her first yeah. miscarriage. After being interviewed by Shaw and Regina Moss, Madison returns home. Uh, during the interview, actually, no, Regina Moss wasn't there. What am I talking about? It's just Shaw. Um, Sydney shows up dressed as a princess because she works as a princess at Family Planet. And uh, she's informed. I originally thought she said Family Planning, <laughs> which is for like people wanting a baby. I was like, why is she dressed like that for Family Planning? Um, but then I realised it was Planned Parenthood, the yeah. actual name, and then all that, okay. Uh, she's informed that Madison had many miscarriages over the years, something that she didn't know about. Yeah. Shaw and Regina Moss live a lollipop. Which is a bit strange. Like, do they not talk that much? Yeah, I mean, you could look at it as Gabriel is making her not tell people. I don't know. I don't know, because she was... She was visually pregnant, wasn't she? It wasn't yeah. like she... This time around see. she was, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, I don't know. Shaw and Regina Moss, who has a lollipop uh, in the scene... Come on, Kojak. ...investigate Derek's corpse, where it looks as though his attacker was hanging from the ceiling. They discuss Derek beating Madison, and uh, Regina Moss says, No forced entry, abusive husband, motives. And then sucks on her lollipop. <laughs> she does. I love Regina Moss. Um, yeah, I just I love Regina Moss. She's given me Wanda Sykes yeah, energy. She is. She's funny. She's um, a comic really. She's maybe a little bit of a stereotype, which I think is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The idea. Which is the idea, which is part of the um, satire. Satire. Thank you very much. <laughs> She's part of the satire. Uh, Madison is stalked through her home by an unknown presence that is making the lights flicker. 
So she fixes new deadbolts on her door very dramatically with dramatic music and camera shots because she's into survival. She's into survival. Sydney shows up with a casserole from their mother and tells Madison that Derek deserved to die. Madison... <laughs> Essentially, yeah. In a really great scene, Madison reveals that she was adopted at eight years old after her biological mother died. So she does this by saying, Sydney, I was adopted. And we get really dramatic synth music, followed by a dramatic slow zoom into Sydney's shocked face. This was the <laughs> moment I realised James Wan 100% knew what he was doing. <laughs> I was like, you don't get hilarious shots like this by accident. No. You know, this is deliberate. No one like James Wan would have done that <laughs> exactly. by accident. <laughs> you know, um, I was like, okay. I know where this is going, yes, and I'm 100% for it. The killer kidnaps a woman running a Seattle underground tour and ties her up in an attic somewhere. The killer puts on a black leather coat and black gloves and uses the radio to inform the woman that he's going to kill Dr. Weaver. Great scene. I love all these attic scenes because it is opera. It is absolutely opera. Like, the way she's tied up and everything. It, that is exactly what it looks like. her mouth. Yeah, the camera angle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was convinced the woman with the Seattle Underground tour, I thought that was Madison. It looks just like her. I mean, that's great casting because they really... Amazing casting. Because, spoiler alert, that's her mother. Yeah, They look just like each other. Yeah. They really did. And it confused me because I was like, where are we switching timelines here? Mm. Like, where are we? Why is... Why has Madison been kidnapped and then she's in the next scene perfectly fine? I was like, what's going on? And realised it's not Madison. And to add to the Dario Argento influence, they both look like they could be leads in a Dario Argento film. Yes. I'm not sure if they would have had that hair if they were. It would have been a slightly different wig. (laughs) The killer calls Dr. Weaver and reveals it's time to cut out the cancer. Madison has another vision whilst t- uh, taking some washing to the washing machine. Your Painted Smile by Brian Ferry plays yes. on the radio, which the lyrics... Uh, I haven't got them on me, actually, but um, I haven't got them on me, as if I printed them off on the computer. Uh, but they're quite on the nose. Yeah. It's, it's about um, being together... Um, yeah. It is on our... Now that's what I call horror culture. I should have on Spotify. I actually really like the song. Yeah, so, um, are, are you getting the lyrics? Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have had this prepared. I do, I sincerely apologise. Yeah, so it's, uh, too fast to live, too young to die, one stolen babe, a certain smile. Yeah. We never close, we never close, babe, we dance all night. I'm lost inside, babe, your pointed smile. Yeah. Um, but- so... It's, I take it as the song is about being ins- inside someone. Yeah, not, not in that way, not in that way. <laughs> Dr. Weaver, <laughs> Dr. Weaver screams at Madison through her washing machine door and the killer murders her with a gold trophy. Yes. Presumably the trophy she got for removing Gabriel from Madison. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird trophy to receive. Hilarious how it is in the shape of a knife, like the perfect weapon for it. It is, yeah. With like a snake around it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Shaw and Moss uh, investigate and only find the bottom half of the trophy. To which Shaw says, we need to find the other half. And CST Winnie says, yeah, don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> which is absolutely, like, being in a crime scene, like being over a, a mutilated corpse, and she's just there like, yeah, I still want a bit of Shaw's dick. Yeah. <laughs> During the investigation, Shaw and Moss discover a photo of Madison as a child in Weaver's house and learn that Weaver specialised in child reconstructive surgery. Yes. They also discover the top half of the award. Oh, yeah, what am I talking about? (laughs) The killer takes the sharp half of the trophy back to the attic and turns it into a proper weapon. Yes. That's very giallo as well. With um, the mum. What what is her name? Uh, Serena. Serena. With Serena watching on as he forms this weapon out of the top half of the trophy. Dr. Fields is stalked by some in his apartment in a very suspicious scene. Uh, he then goes to bed and Madison is transported from her bed into his apartment to watch the killer brutally stab Dr. Fields to death. And it is brutal. Yeah, it's like stabbing in the face and yeah. the chest. Yeah, proper goes for it. Madison and her sister approach the police and tell them that Madison witnessed the killer murder in Dr. Fields. Regina Moss and Sydney have a debate about whether or not the police hire psychics to solve missing person cases. <laughs> and Sydney says she knows they do because she played a cop in a TV show and they said it was true. So it has to be true. <laughs> she also gives a uh, description of the killer for an evet. Yeah. And uh, Moss believes that it looks like Sloth from the Goonies. Yes. <laughs> um... Shaw and Regina Moss investigate Dr. Fields' apartment and find his corpse. Dun, dun, dun. And the killer calls Madison, reads her to filth about her fake name from her fake mother and a shitty marriage, and then reveals himself to be Gabriel, Madison's childhood imaginary friend. I did, I thought the voice was Scream. Yeah. And it was the like, Hello Emily Yeah. was very Scream. It was kind of like... Jigsaw, Ghostface and Freddy Krueger all merged into one. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, it's true, actually. Shaw has been given an aged version of the picture they found of the patient at Dr. Weaver's house, and it's Madison. It looks just like including (laughs) the the wig. (laughs) She and Sydney uh, visit uh, their mother, Jean, to learn more. They watch a birthday home movie video where Madison speaks to Gabriel and a Christmas video where Gabriel talks to her on a toy phone and tells her to kill her unborn sister. Madison realises that Gabriel was not her imaginary friend but someone real to whom she spoke to during her childhood. Do you think you would keep these old home videos of your oh, child of talking to their <laughs> creepy imaginary friend? Of course like, not, that's the joke. <laughs> like, um... No, I think I'm going to tape over these. Uh, 48 hours is on TV. Let's uh, tape it over. <laughs> the funny thing is, this scene was definitely included specifically for the trailer. Because it is exactly what you'd expect to see in, in a modern horror oh, film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's giving me paranormal activity. Yeah. yeah. And, and that is the easiest way to... Th- this tape in, in particular is the easiest way to make the audience think they were going to watch something else when they watch yeah, that trailer. absolutely. Shaw finds a link between the doctors and Madison, including Dr. Gregory, who is yet to be killed. Madison is brushing her teeth when she is transported to Dr. Gregory's bathroom, and Shaw rushes to his apartment. But it gets there too late. It's too late. He's been killed in the bath. Whilst on his iPad. 
Whilst on his iPad. Um, but then Short is attacked by Gabriel, who, cha- who he chases through an abandoned building and shoots at. And Gabriel does all sorts of flips and tricks. Yeah, especially down the fire exit outside the apartment. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really well shot, well made, you know. Because uh, obviously Gabriel is still moves weird. Yeah. Um, but still doing these flips and tricks down the uh, fire exit. It, look, it, it looked pretty cool, actually. Yeah, and, and knowing that this is, you know, practical effects as well, and an actual actress doing all this shit, that's fucking impressive. Yeah. They go through a boiler room. Yep. Yeah, very Nightmare on Elm Street. Thank you. Uh, the detectives enlist the house. What I thought was weird, sorry, what I thought was weird is that they seem to be in an underground place. Yeah. And there's, like, old... Um, I don't know carts in Cut, there yeah. but there's like a f- really thick layer of fog yeah like, <laughs> very insidious like proper dry ice um, stars in their eyes kind of fog <laughs> in there like how did that get in there and this is seemingly abandoned like what is going on <laughs> the uh, the detectives and the help of psychiatric uh, hypnotherapist uh, hoping to unlock Madison's memories. Madison recalls that her birth name is Emily May and that Gabriel wanted to kill her unborn sister. Hilariously, when uh, when they're told it's a psych- psychiatric hypnotherapist, Sydney says, I knew it. <laughs> to which Shaw says, she's not a psychic, goddammit. No, Regina Moss says that. Regina Moss, Regina Moss, excuse me. <laughs> Regina Moss says she's not a psychic, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, after all this is revealed, um, Regina Moss says, Wait, you're saying the killer is your imaginary friend? As intense music <laughs> plays in the background. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the police arrest Madison when the kidnapped woman falls from the attic in her home. Revealing that Gabriel was living inside her house. The woman is Serena May, Madison's birth mother. Yes. Um, there's a moment where she's being questioned, isn't there? She's yeah. Like, I'm telling the fucking truth. And the lights explode. Yes. Um, uh, before this, CST Winnie, Shaw and Regina Moss discover Gabriel's jacket and weapon in the attic. Uh, and then Regina Moss says, we've got the jacket, the gloves and Jeffrey Dahmer's workshop in your attic. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that's when she makes the light smash. Yes. Uh, through shouting. It's Carrie. Uh, Gabriel calls them and wants to talk to Shaw. But Regina Moss says, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. Very much in the style of the thing. It was. It was. The delivery is exactly the same. It's a great phone call. Um, Gabriel's like, it's a great phone call. that dumb bitch didn't even know I was living in her attic. Yeah. And um, Shaw's like, are you real? And he's like, if I punched a hole in your fucking face last night, would that have made me real? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, he tells Shaw to ask um, Madison what she used to call Gabriel when she was younger. And in a very dramatic scene, she says, the devil. Yeah. <laughs> very overdramatic. Z- uh, Sydney visits the now abandoned Simeon Hospital and finds that Gabriel is Emily's twin brother who lives within her body as an extreme version of teratoma, sharing the same brain and spinal cord as Emily. Madison is put in a prison cell with a bunch of other women, including a stylish 70s queen with an afro, 
a woman casually taking a piss, and Zoe Bal as Butch Queen Scorpio. Yes. Um, I was absolutely getting... Um, caged heat. Caged heat. Caged heat. Chained heat. Caged heat, chained heat. They're both kind of similar. <laughs> it was giving me um, Foxy Brown. Yeah. <laughs> and you know when she goes to the lesbian bar? Uh-huh. That's what Zoe Bell was giving me. <laughs> that she's got a mullet, she's got a denim on. Um, it, I, it's just an array of women in this cell who are take, like kind of taken from exploitation films. Yeah. It's like um, hard to piece together like what sort of decade any of I these know. women are it, from. It, no, they're, they're all from the 70s. They're <laughs> absolutely all from the 70s. It looks like they've been locked up there since the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's great how they act like everyone in a women in prison exploitation film oh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Gene um, and Sydney watched Dr. Weaver's videos back with interviews uh, with Madison's real mother. Gene says, they told me she was dead, those cock knockers. Cock knockers. <laughs> Shaw and Regina Moss uh, visit Serena in the hospital. And Shaw says, when will she wake up? And a nurse says, she's in a coma, detective. It's in God's hands. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst um, watching the Weaver tapes, in a very... Weaver tapes? A very bizarre series of events. A, a, a scene that had Chris looking more shocked than I've ever seen him looked at a film before. Okay. That your jaw was on the fucking ground. It was. I wasn't <laughs> expecting this. Jean and Sydney discovered that during Emily's childhood, Gabriel appeared as a half-formed child facing out of Emily's back. Like, seriously. There's a scene where Dr. Weaver's like, oh, I'm going to wake him up. And I thought it was going to be very much Ghostwatch when um, they're talking and she's talking out of a different voice. Yeah. The Conjuring 2 when she's talking out of a different voice. Yeah. Her, you know, possession. Um, but when the camera turned round and the fucking half-formed child was there, I, I don't think I ever gasped so loud in the cinema. Like, it was unbelievable. <laughs> With the arms going and the man like, mouth going. Um, it, unreal. Like, I mean... What a twist. Like, the young actress playing Emily in that scene. Yeah. Must have been like, what the hell have I got on my side? What is this shit? Because she, you know, she's probably too young to, like, really know James Wan films yeah. or, or any of the films being referenced. Like, what is this shit that they've signed up for? It's such a great scene. Um, and really a massive turning point in it's the film. Really- Ridiculous, and this is where the shit hits the fan. And a lot of, a lot of people have criticised the the sort of lead up to this moment, mm. but from this moment, a lot of people say, you know, the last half an hour is so ridiculous, yeah, and so over the top. You, you can't help but sort of be enamoured with it, yeah. Um, even if you don't like the rest of the film, a lot of people have said, you know, this last half an hour is great. Weaver operated on Emily and was able to remove all of the tumour except for the brain. <gasps> he was dormant after her childhood but woke up when Derek hit her head against the wall. He keeps Madison in a mental prison where he takes over and kills people. Yeah, so they've lit. 
she says, we're just going to push that back into uh, Emily's skull. And yeah. she literally, you just see it, like, push <laughs> it into the skull and then just, like, slaps a bit of uh, skull back on. Like, get in there. Uh, the prison girls start taunting and beating up Madison. Gabriel's face now emerges from the back of Madison's skull and operates her body backwards when he takes control, explaining the killer's unnatural movements and the upside-down fingerprints at the crime scenes. Yeah, so there's a, a, a couple of, uh, I didn't like, with the, like, cracking the yeah. arm back, so it's kind of going forward. The effects in this look incredible. Look yeah, so whoever, whoever that contortionist dancer was, yeah. she, we might have to watch YouTube clips of her, because yeah. uh, she does a really good job. Gabriel takes full control of Madison's body and slaughters the prison girls of superhuman strength and agility. He breaks bones, punches holes in people, twists necks, stomps on heads, gouges eyes and tears out throats. It's so over the top, so gory, so ridiculous. Yeah. It's amazing. Sydney tries to warn Shaw about what's happening, but he thinks it's all nonsense. Seriously, sure. <laughs> and this is such a classic horror trope, as you know from our Halloween episodes. Everything you've seen so far, and you think this is nonsense. Oh, yeah. Surely. <laughs> Gabriel breaks into the evidence locker while CST Winnie is in there and takes back his jacket, gloves, and weapon, but leaves her alive. Yeah, well, she hides well enough, don't she? She does. Bless her heart. You know, I'm glad she survived. <laughs> Shaw and Regina Moss find a bunch of cops dead and Gabriel slices his way through everyone in the police station in a really, really great circular shot, which is the exact same as Nicole Kidman Aquaman scene. This is more action yeah. than sort of any other scene. It's given me... I, I hate constantly making um, references to other film, but it's given me John Wick. Yeah. Just as yeah. it helps to describe the scene. Uh, but it's very action and a little bit matrix with the like the uh, with the movements and the the long black coat. Shaw sees Madison's face on the back of Gabriel. Gabriel breaks his arm and slices Regina Moss's stomach before leaving. CST Winnie finds Shaw and Regina Moss and tries to call the police. To which she says, "Why am I calling the police? Yeah. <laughs> They're all dead around her." <laughs> Shaw heads to the hospital where Serena is recovering from her captivity. Sydney arrives at the hospital and tries to warn a security guard, but Gabriel appears and makes his pacemaker explode. I know. <laughs> I know. Is it? Yeah, we watched it together. It's, so, <laughs> it's actually really funny. Shaw and Sydney are attacked by, attacked by Gabriel. Shaw is stabbed by Gabriel and he throws a hospital bed on top of Sydney. Sydney informs Madison that Gabriel is the cause of her miscarriages because he was feeding off her fetuses. To build himself back up. Gabriel shoots Sydney and suffocates Serena. That's good, Sid. Yeah. Like, Sydney's such a likeable character. Yeah, like the sister dies. Yeah. But fucking Miss Lonely Hearts lives. <laughs> Angry at Sydney's revelation, Madison wakes up and takes back control of her body and transports both Gabriel and herself to a black mindscape. There, she locks an enraged Gabriel behind bars. And says she'll be ready after he promises to escape one day. She takes back all the energy she gave him. Probably won't happen. (laughs) Yeah, she takes back all the energy she ever gave him. (laughs) And he might return for a sequel, but it won't be Madison. He'll try and take over a a homosexual. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Maybe he's hoping. He's hoping. Back in the hospital in a full control of her body, Madison lifts the hospital bed off of Sydney, who survived. Yes. It was a trick she played on uh, old Gabriel. Yeah. Um, and she, she explains that it was always her body. Because mm-hmm. she's like, oh, you're not going to be able to lift this bed. It was always my body. Yeah. He just took control. The pair hug as Madison affirms that even though she was not, even though she was adopted and is not related by blood, she will always love her as a sister. Again, hilarious because after all what's just happened, that's the first thing you choose to that's say. That's the first thing she chooses to say. <laughs> as the two embrace, Serena looks on happily, while the electric humming that accompanied Gabriel's attacks can be heard faintly. Yeah. End of the film. End of the film, and it does it does that thing that old you know older films did. Where it just ends. Yeah. There's no, you know, two years later. Yeah. And they're all happy and this, that and the other. Um, and no, it just it just ends. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. End. <laughs> but yes, great film. Up there is one of the best of the year and easily James Wan's best film for me. And I, I, I'm saying that as someone who loves The Conjuring 1 and 2, uh, Insidious 1 and 2 and Saw, you know, I, I genuinely think this is his best film. It It's a film that felt made for us. Yeah. It sort of incorporates all the things that we love. Um, we it, it took me a while. I don't think it took you as long. Um, but it took me a while whilst watching it for the first time to really understand the intent. Yeah. And I think intent and context really does matter when yeah. it comes to certain films and this is definitely one of them um if you know if you thought this was just a normal direct uh, making a normal horror film mm-hmm. and this was meant to be scary uh this that and the other then you would be like what the fuck is this you know this is making no sense um, so I really do think it helps to understand the intent, yeah. which is why we enjoyed it so much. A- again, like I said, you know, it took me a little longer, but on second viewing, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I absolutely get it now. I absolutely realise what's going on and this is a really great film. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like we said earlier, it is still in cinemas. So if you get a chance to go and see it, absolutely do it. Yeah. I highly recommend. So that is Halloween season done for another year. Boo. We, yeah, boo. 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 Oh, boo. If you're listening on iTunes, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, like, and follow, and everything else. Uh, I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. Um, Chris Barker823 on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. On Tuesday, we'll be back with. A giallo. I know. Very fitting. Not too far removed from uh, what we've just discussed. <laughs> we'll be back and we'll be discussing the masterpiece that is Tenebrae. Yes. What a way to start off Nasty November. Absolutely. Probably my favourite of the video nasties. My favourite Argento film. Yes, it's going to be a good one. So we'll see you on Tuesday and until then, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Bye.